Keyboard Kimura AV Network is presented by OneBone. Fall is here, and OneBone has you covered when it comes to looking fresh as the temperatures start to cool. From numerous short sleeve styles and cuts, to long sleeve selections, hoodie options, the Essential Bomber, and the Trench Hoodie, OneBone has styles, colors, and sizes to meet all your needs this fall. As a supporter of the Keyboard Kimura AV Network, use promo code ESK10 at checkout. That's my initials, ESK, and the number 10 for 10% off your order. Based in Montreal, everything is Canadian made, but ships all over the world. So check out the website, onebone.com, or download the app and join the OneBone family today. OneBone, big and all. Greetings and salutations. I'm back. Finally. It's been way too long. I'm still a little hoarse. Still got a little bit of a little bit of a head cold lingering, a little bit of the COVID hangover here. But we're back. There are fights on Saturday. It is Friday, so we're here to put out some punch drunk predictions. We're gonna follow this up with the UFC Vegas 61. You wanna make a bet piece? Oh, this feels good. We got the new headphones. I'm gonna give a little Swing in here. We're working on it. We're still missing a cord, but it's coming. It's coming soon. I'm excited. Pumped to be back. Pumped to be back. Putting out content. Um, appreciate everybody sticking with me, rolling with me over these last couple of weeks. Uh, needed that rest. Needed that break from everything to go out to Newfoundland with my family. Had a great time. Saw a lot of great stuff. Unfortunately, my wife and I got COVID on the way back. So that sort of took a week out of me. And then this week has just been, you know, getting through that. I want it. So the plan was to get through that. We, of course, then got into a car accident on Monday. Not our fault. Everybody's okay. No injuries, no anything like that. The car situation is a little dicey. We're not sure what's going to happen with that yet. But we will get through. These are just things. Our health is the most important and we are both fine. So we will move forward. We will look at UFC Vegas 61, which takes place Saturday at the UFC Apex, headlined by Mackenzie Dern and Yan Zhaonan. And I want to get into this. So, I mean, here's the thing, right? Unlike my foray into the wagering world, things have been going pretty pretty well in terms of predictions this year, right? Through 30 events, I missed those last two. So UFC 279 and the Corey Sanhagen Song Yedong fight. I saw that fight, but I didn't make any picks. I didn't write anything out. So here we are through 30 events. I've only had four losing weeks. And I've amassed a total of 233, 129, and two with one no contest, which is good for a 638 winning percentage, which is really great. My goal every year is to come in and finish the year at a 700 winning percentage. And of course, yes, obviously, I'd like to be perfect, but that's just an unrealistic expectation. And so I set the bar for myself every year at a 700 winning percentage, which means seven out of 10 fights, I want to get them right. And it's difficult. And so I look at what we've been through of 365 fights that I've made predictions on. 
I've gotten 233 of them correct. That's really good to me. And I'm happy with where I'm at. That being said, there's 10 events left on the UFC's 2022 schedule starting this weekend in Vegas. And while getting to that 700 is going to be difficult, we're sure going to try. I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, this is good enough. We're going to keep trying. We're going to try to put up double digits every week if we can. We're going to try to get as close to 700 for the winning percentage as possible. And so let's get into this week's edition of the Punch Trunk Predictions. If you see me glancing sideways or glancing askew a little bit, it's because I've got my notes up in front of me here on my other screen. And I want to make sure to give you guys as much information as I can and not just be sitting here kind of coming completely off the dome. And so there will be some sideways glances to the notes. So I get some information to you, but we're going to get through it. And we're going to start at the top. We're going to start with Mackenzie Dern and Yan Jonan. This feels like a matchup that is designed in my eyes to get Mackenzie Dern a victory, to get her into the clubhouse as the leader in the who gets the next title shot race before Marina Rodriguez fights Amanda Lemos and before Carla Esparza defends her title against Zhang Wei Li at UFC 281 in, in Madison Square Garden in New York. Dern's coming off a very good win over Tisha Torres. She has a considerable edge in the grappling department. She's the more powerful striker of the two. And I just think this is a fight where she has far more avenues to victory. She's also been in a main event before. The other piece of this or the other side of it is that Jan is coming off consecutive losses. She lost to Carla Esparza. She was finished by Carla Esparza from a mounted crucifix with elbows and then lost a split decision to Marina Rodriguez earlier this year. And I just don't really see her having that much that threatens Mackenzie Dern in this fight. She does have a good jab when she throws it, but she doesn't have a lot of power. She's not somebody that necessarily throws a ton of volume either. So the path to victory is really sort of hoping Mackenzie Dern fades. And that's the one way that I can see this going the distance. I do think Mackenzie Dern will get it done inside the distance, probably inside of three rounds. But if that doesn't happen, I can see it becoming a fight where Dern's got to kind of hold on over that final 10 minutes and not hold on that she's necessarily going to be rocked or in, in dire straits, but just kind of navigate her way through the final two rounds to win the fight, whether it's 50-45, 49-46, or 48-47 on the scorecards. I do think Mackenzie Dern is the pick. I think she has far more paths to victory. I'll talk about it a little more on the betting show later. She's she's actually the person I have the most plays on this week because I do think there are some avenues to, to making positive money in betting Mackenzie Dern, but she is my selection here in the main event. The lineup of this card is a little bit unsure right now. There's different, different layouts, different lineups, depending on where you look, whether it's topology or Wikipedia or the UFC website. So I'm just going to go with what's on Wikipedia in terms of sort of the way these fights are lined up. So my co-main event, my second fight that I'm going to discuss here is Francisco Trinaldo and Randy Brown. Trinaldo's as game as they come. He's, you know, for being 44 years old, the dude can still crack. We saw that in the Danny Roberts fight. But I just think that Randy Brown is on a different tier here. He's at a different stage in his career. Success-wise, he's on a three-fight winning streak. His only loss in his last five is to Vicente Luque, which is certainly not a bad loss. I think the way this probably plays out is Randy Brown working from range, picking his spots, making sure that Masaranduba doesn't land anything big that puts him in trouble, 
and just kind of finding his way through 15 minutes to get a four straight victory and keep moving forward. I do think there is the possibility of Randy Brown kind of getting a finish as he did in the Alex Oliveira fight where he lands something, gets an opportunity and, and finishes in an opportunistic manner. He is a very good finisher in that regards in terms of his instincts for a finish, but he's not necessarily somebody that's going out there hunting and chasing for a finish. And so I think the more likely path is Randy Brown by decision, working behind his range, working behind his length and his kicks, sort of keeping Francisco Trinaldo at bay. But I wouldn't be surprised either if there is a finish in this fight. Either way, I think Randy Brown gets his four straight win and hopefully gets a step up in competition and an opportunity to face somebody with a number next to their name next time out. Next up, Honey Barcelos and Trevin Jones. This one's a little tricky because Trevin Jones is an explosive guy. He's got some power, especially for this division. But I do tend to lean towards Barcelos. I think he is the more complete fighter. He's faced the better competition. And he's had greater success overall, both overall and in his UFC run. He was 5-0 before his last... He's lost his last two. Both of these guys have. But he was 5-0 before that with good wins over guys like Chris Gutierrez and Saeed Nurmagomedov before losing to Timur Valiev and Victor Henry, who are two very good fighters. That's not to take anything away from the guys that have beaten Trevin Jones in Sadiqub Kakramanov and Javid Bashrat, who are two very talented prospects. But I just think they're still a step behind Hani Barcelos. And I think we see that on Saturday. I do think Barcelos will sort of adopt or or co-opt a little bit of that Javid Basharat game plan, work from range, use the kicks, don't put yourself in any real danger, don't give Trevin Jones opportunities to land big shots and just sort of work through the fight, get yourself back into the win column without really putting yourself in any real jeopardy, get moving forward again and then go from there. Next up, Sadiq Yusef. Don Shanus, originally supposed to be Giga Chikadze a couple weeks ago. Giga was forced to withdraw. They tap in the 31-year-old Don Shanus. Look, Sadiq Youssef should win this fight handily. He's a legitimate top 15 featherweight. He's coming off a win over Alex Caceres. He is a very, very good fighter. And Don Shanus is a 31-year-old regional vet making his UFC debut on short notice. All of that being said, this is an all-risk zero reward fight for Sadiq Youssef. And Shayna seems like he's got a little pop in his hands because he's earned his last three victories or he's earned all of his victories this year inside of the opening five minutes. And, you know, you have to discount. You don't put any stock in beating a guy like Jay Ellis, who is a professional opponent. He is 16 and 104 for his career. That one doesn't carry any weight. But the first round finish of Cody Fister is one that you have to have to pay attention to, right? Fister had a little cup of coffee in the UFC. It's a good win. He's got another one after that. Basically won three fights or four fights in a four-month stretch already this year, all of them by first round finish. And so while I don't think he comes out and beats Sadiq Youssef on Saturday, I do think it makes Sadiq Youssef a little bit patient, a little bit calculating, at least in the early stages of this fight, till he can make his reads, till he can get his range, till he can see what that power's like and figure out what he's dealing with with Don Sheamus here. 
he's a minus 1,000 favorite. This isn't a fight where I think he's going to go out there and suddenly get beat. And I also don't think it's going to be the just like run through him blowout in 30 seconds that that line implies. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if this went into the second round or even went the distance with Yusef just doing the smart thing of beating this guy, being the clearly more technical, quicker, better fighter overall, but not creating those opportunities where he can suffer a big detrimental loss to a guy that's coming in on short notice. So my pick is Sadiq Yusef. I do think he will get a finish, but again, I wouldn't be surprised to see him to just, to see him just say, listen, I'm going to get this clear win on the scorecards and I'm going to make sure I don't give this man any chances to catch me with anything. And then we'll go from there when I'm back in against another top 15 opponent. Bantamweight fight, John Castaneda and Daniel Santos. This is one of the matchups on the card that, that just doesn't really make sense to me because Castaneda is coming in on two straight victories, both finishes. The first against Eddie Wineland, the second against Miles Johns earlier this year. And Santos lost his promotional debut to Julio Arce last time out. And truthfully, I can, I can see this being comparable to each of their last fights. I can see Castaneda using the pressure approach that he used to beat Miles Johns to get a finish in the third round against Miles Johns. And I can see Santos fighting a similar fight or being stuck in a similar fight to the one he fought against Julio Arce, who is just a more veteran competitor who's going to throw a little more volume, who's a little more diverse, who's a little more polished and refined in his striking and can just go out there and beat you on volume and technique and skill and basically fight craft versus a young Brazilian who's throwing a little bit more smoke and putting a lot more energy into things. Santos has only lost twice in his 11 fights. The fight before, the loss before his loss to Julio Arce was also a decision. And so I don't necessarily know that John Castaneda goes out there and just gets him out of here in a hurry or gets him out of here at all. But I do think Castaneda gets a third straight victory and then hopefully doesn't get stuck in a weird matchup like this again because three straight wins in the best division in the UFC, including one over Miles Johns, who I was very high on, and that finish of Eddie Wineland before Eddie Wineland was at the absolute end of his rope are good victories and he deserves the opportunity to fight forward even though bantamweight is just so it's this is this is another one of those examples of how hard it is to move forward at bantamweight right two straight wins two straight finishes good efforts and you're facing a guy that's coming off a loss so we'll see if if John Castaneda can make it three straight and get a bump up the next time out last fight of the main card Mike Davis returns against Slavoklav Vyacheslav Borshev who is stepping in on short notice for Urosh Medic Personally, I want this to be a phone booth fight where these two dudes that are just great boxers get in the center, trade it out, see who the better pugilist is. But my guy, Harry Powell, brought up a very good question or a very good series of questions on the Severe MMA preview show that we taped and that is out now. So please go check that out on the Severe MMA YouTube page or just jump into my Twitter feed. I've sent it out a couple of times. It was nice to be back with the boys and chop it up about this card and, and some other things. Question here he asked is how does Borshev's loss to Mark Jacasey last time out sort of influence things here? He was thoroughly out wrestled and kind of kind of embarrassed, right? He was coming off that good win in his debut against Dakota Bush where he landed the body shot 
And then we didn't get to see any of that in his sophomore fight because a, a more well-rounded, a more savvy fighter in Mark Jacasey came out and said, look, I think I can exploit this guy's wrestling defense. Let me just take him down, work from top position, get this win, get moving forward again and go from there. As such, do we see Borchev come out and look to wrestle himself? Trains at Team Alpha, very good wrestlers. Bunch of guys in that room that can help him shore up that takedown defense and maybe implement more of an offensive wrestling game of his own. Does he come out trying to make a point very early against another skilled striker in Mike Davis, trying to, to really take command early and, and set the tone with his striking? Is he a little gun shy because he doesn't want to get taken down and he's now, you know, back in his stance a little and a little bit hesitant to throw because he's afraid of getting taken down again? Now, Mike Davis isn't necessarily a guy that's going to come out and shoot doubles. But when you get taken down as many times and controlled for as long as he did against Jacasey, that certainly could sit in the back of your mind. And so that part is going to be very, very interesting to see. Ideally, as I said, I want this just to be a boxing match. These guys are both very skilled, very technical strikers. I said on the preview show that I hope it plays out similar to Borshev's contender series win over Chris Duncan, which was just a firefight that ended with a hellacious knockout. I do think Davis is the more dynamic of the two. The time off is a little bit of a concern, but he's been getting ready to go since even before March. He was originally scheduled to fight on that London card in March against Jai Herbert. He didn't want to go to London. So he's been ready to go for most of this year. So I think we'll see a good performance from Beast Boy. I think he gets the victory. It could be a battle like his win over Mason Jones, which was his last performance. But we'll also see if we'll we'll see if we get those answers to Harry's questions. Gonna go through the prelims here a little bit quicker just to you know not have you here for too too long. We get a couple of veteran European heavyweights, Alexi Olinick and Alir Latifi. As much as I love watching Olinick, excuse me, lumber around the cage trying to find ways to get guys to the ground or you know allow himself to be taken down or pull guard or find ways to get into his odd submission game. I don't really think that's going to happen here. Alir Latifi is seven for seven in terms of defending takedowns in the UFC. It's not a huge number, but look, he hasn't been taken down in the UFC and he's fought some guys even back in his light heavyweight day, like Corey Anderson, who liked to take people down and he hasn't been put on the deck yet. He has very good wrestling He's also built like a fire hydrant. It's very difficult to get men like that to the canvas. Additionally, he hits like his nickname. He hits like a sledgehammer. And so as Alexio Linick comes lumbering forward, plodding forward as he does, I think there's a high likelihood that Alir Latifi lands something that just kind of jolts the system. I don't know if he gets Alinek out of there because Latifi hasn't been a big finisher, but I think on the whole... This is a fight that lines up pretty well for Alir Latifi. He is my pick, though I would not be sad to see Olenek get this to the ground and get to do Alexi Olenek things. Jessica Panay and Tabitha Ricci in the strawweight division. This one's interesting to me as well. This sort of fits, maybe it doesn't fit the, the castaneda Daniel Santos, but it's a fight where, and I'll talk about it more on, on the betting show, where the odds are a little weird to me. Because the key to Ricci's last two wins has been her ability to take her opponents to the ground and sort of keep them there for long stretches. She out-wrestled 
Maria Oliveira and Pollyanna Viana, but I just don't know that she's going to be able to do that against Jessica Panay. She's going to be at a considerable height and reach disadvantage. Jessica Panay is a very good grappler in her own right. We saw that in her submission win over Karolina Kovalkiewicz. We saw that in her split decision win against Lupi Godinez, who was able to, yes, throw her to the canvas a few times, but those exchanges weren't one-sided. And if a powerhouse like Lupi Godinez can't keep Jessica Panay on the canvas for an extended period of time, I'm really interested to see if a diminutive fighter like Tabitha Ricci, who maybe should be fighting at atom weight, not 115, is going to be able to do that. In terms of the striking, you look at Tabitha Ricci's last two fights, it's basically been tit for tat in the striking department. And, and as I said, the thing that determined victory was her ability to get these takedowns and put fighters on the ground and keep them there for long stretches. And so if she can't do that against Jessica Penne, I'm kind of leaning towards a veteran being able to get the upset here. It's a big number. We'll talk, as I said, talk about it on the betting show, teasing that a little bit. I like that number for Jessica Penne, but I just think this is one of those performances where people see the recent results for Ricci and are leaning just the younger fighter, the fresher fighter. She's on a roll. Penne's coming off a loss to Emily Ducote. And so the thought is maybe, you know, at 39, is she is she on that tail end of things? But I think she's still got enough. She came back. She had a good final round in that fight with Emily Ducote. It was 29-28 across the board, I believe, or at least twice. I think she's got enough to beat Tabitha Ricci. It's one of my upset picks for Saturday. Joaquin Silva and Jesse Ronson in the lightweight division. This one, looks like, I'm going to acknowledge, it's not even bias. It's just homerism for Canada, right? Jesse Ronson's a Canadian dude. He's someone I've had an opportunity to speak to many, many times. Trains with the guys that used to be Team Tompkins out at Adrenaline in, in London. Mark Hominick, Sam Stout, Chris Hordeski. Um, But he's without a victory in his UFC career. He's still without a victory. 0-5 now. And while Silva has struggled and is coming in on two straight losses himself and been knocked out in both of those fights, he's at least shown an ability to get a victory in, inside the octagon. More than one at that. And one of them is a very good win over Jared Gordon. Knocked him out in the third round. And so I do lean towards Silva. I do think there are ways that Jesse Ronson can win this fight. I don't think this is a clear one-sided fight by any means. It's, it's pretty close to a coin flip to me. The piece that I'm interested in, the thing that I want to see, is I want to see if Joaquin Silva, Joaquin Silva decides to wrestle, decides to grapple. Because Hafa Garcia had success in his fight with Jesse Ronson by taking it to the canvas, by turning it into a grappling match. And I think Silva should have an edge in that area as well. And if he wants to go that route, it may be the path of, of least resistance. Taking the Brazilian, though, as I said, there's a little bit of homerism here because I certainly wouldn't be upset to see Jesse Ronson finally get that win that he's been chasing. He had a hellacious start to things, three split decisions or three decisions against very good opponents. Got a win over Nicholas Dalby on short notice that was overturned because he tested positive for something that they couldn't prove wasn't from a banned substance. He had to serve a suspension. Then he had the loss to Rafa Garcia last time out. I'm pulling for the body snatcher, but I got a feeling that Joaquim Silva gets it done. We move to middleweight. Christoph Yatko versus Brendan Allen. And the first line of my notes is, oh, Brendan Allen. 
I said it on the preview show. I'll reiterate some of it here. Brendan Allen is a guy that at 26 has been a fighter that I can't quit in my 10 things I like column throughout his career because the skills are there. We've seen it in some of these fights, right? He has good, clean striking. He has some power. He's got a good submission game. But for one reason or another, whenever he gets into these positions where he's facing someone a little bit of further further up in the rankings, a little bit sort of on the cusp of or inside the top 15, something just goes askew, something goes ensconce, and he just, he, he struggles. Whether it's mental, whether it's overconfidence, whatever it is, he struggled to get by this hurdle. And as much as Chris Jotko isn't a guy that, you know, is going to wow anybody, he's somebody that has been in this position inside the top 15 or just outside of it for seven or eight years now. And that's really difficult to do. If you know me, if you follow me, you know how I feel about guys like that, that are able to stick around in the top 15, even if it is that lower third or just outside of it, piling up two, three, four wins to every loss that they get in the UFC. Jocko is a guy that if Brendan Allen comes in here overconfident and not necessarily minding his P's and Q's and fighting to the best of his abilities, to all of his strengths, protecting himself, being defensively responsible, he will get beat. I am picking Christoph Jocko. Naturally, it probably means that this is the point that Brendan Allen figures it all out and goes and has the performance that I've been waiting for that I wanted to see in the Sean Strickland fight that I wanted to see in the Chris Curtis fight that is similar to what we saw when he went out and just absolutely blasted through Sam Alvey or some of the fights earlier in his career. But he's at the point now, I'm at the point now with him where I need to see it before I can pick him. So my pick is Jocko. I think it's a close fight. I'm very interested to see what BA brings to the table on Saturday. Late heavyweights, Maxim Gresham against Felipe Linz. This one's interesting to me as well. So one of the things I do, one of the things I look at, and I think everybody should look at as we go through and sort of prep and do do their work, figure out their picks and predictions and bets and things like that, is look at ufcstats.com. Find people over there, do great work. And one of the things that jumped out at me is that Linz has a successful takedown rate of 1.84 takedowns per 15 minutes in the UFC, which isn't a huge number, but it's also a... a somewhat inflated and deceptive number because it stems entirely from his last fight where he went four for 11 against March and Pracnell coming back down to light heavyweight, getting his first UFC win. I don't think that he's going to be able to have that success against a more savvy, more seasoned guy in Maxim Grishin, who is very good at defending takedowns is very good at dictating terms of engagement, especially in the clinch especially up against the fence. I don't think this is going to be a particularly entertaining fight. I think it's going to be a very stall-heavy, dirty boxing, striking on the break, battling and grinding against the fence kind of fight. And as good as Felipe Linz looked last time out, and he looked significantly better than he did at heavyweight, it's another one of those instances for me of, let me see it one more time before you get me backing you. I've seen Maxim Grisham go out there and earn a couple of victories in the UFC. I know what he's done before that. He's got a wealth of experience. Picking Grisham. Let's see what happens. We move to the bantamweight division. Yulia Stolyarenko against Chelsea Chandler. This is one of those fights to me where 
you look at Chandler, she comes in, she's, I believe, four and one. She's on a four fight winning streak. She represents Caesar Gracie fight team, 209, all of that, right? People are going to be behind her because she reps Stockton. For me, I do one of the things I do, and, and I'm going to retire calling it the Natan Levy number because that's just not fair to Natan Levy. And so what I've taken to calling it is, is someone's opponent's score. So in Chelsea Chandler's case, her opponents, when she beat them, at the time at the time that they fought, were a combined 13-2, and two, which is a really lovely looking number. But when you dial that back or you pull back the layers of that, you see that they're winless in three pro fights since. And if you factor in, uh, two of them had fights in the Invicta Phoenix series, which are exhibition bouts. But if you factor them in, they're still only one in four. And that's, you know, not great. And then when you go a little step further and you examine and you sort of investigate that 13 and two, you find out that the four women she beat were facing basically scrubs the whole way along. Like we're talking debuting opponents, never want to fight opponents, barely anybody with winning records. And so that sort of helps me reframe and frame my expectations of Chelsea Chandler coming into this. And I could end up being completely wrong. Maybe she's great. Maybe the fact that she's beaten these fighters is just a case of that's who they put in front of her. All you can do is fight the people that they give you. She's handled them. Fine, away we go. Maybe I'm proven wrong. But what I do know for sure is that despite the struggles she had early in her UFC career or through the first four fights of her UFC career, Yulia Stolyarenko has been in there and shown the ability to go the distance in a number of fights against good quality UFC competition. Even if you want to throw out her loss on the Tough 28 finale to Leah Letson. Split decision, Leah Letson's had a cup of coffee in the UFC but hasn't been able to fight regularly. The fights at Bantamweight are a loss to Yana Kunitskaya, Julia Avila, and Alexis Davis. Two of those fought for titles in the UFC, and the other is the Raging Panda, who is a ranked fighter when she can be active and healthy and shouts to Julia Avila and her husband as they get ready to welcome their first child. Can't wait to see baby Panda. Can't wait to then see Mama Panda back in the cage. But for me, I look at this fight, and with Stolyarenko riding high off that first victory over Jessica Rose Clark, with Chandler having not faced this level of competition before, give me the Lithuanian veteran to get a second straight win. Brings us to the opener, Guido Canetti, Randy Costa. This one's interesting to me because Randy Costa needs to finish the fight in the first two minutes and 15 seconds in order to win. At least that's what history suggests, right? If you look at his record, he's 6-0 and in fights that end in the first round. And none of those have gone beyond the 215 mark. And then he's 0-3 in fights that extend beyond that point, including the last two that went into the second round. And both of those fights against Adrian Yanez and Tony Kelly started well. He had good moments. He had bloodied up Adrian Yanez. And everybody was thinking for a minute, like, man, is have we overrated Adrian Yanez? And then Yanez was just like, cool, we did the things. Let me, let me just get you out of here. And got him out of there in the second round. And so we know he's going to come out bombing. We know he's going to come out throwing a lot of kicks. He's got a good jab when he uses it. He's gained some more experience, you know, in being down at Kill Cliff FC. I just don't know that he's got the big shot power to get out there and, and get Guido Canetti out of there in two minutes. And, and historically speaking, as I said, that's what it he's shown it takes for him to get a victory. 
We know the Argentine is going to come out and be in his face and can throw volume and can take some shots, has a little power too. We saw him last time out against Chris Moutinho just go out there and run through him. And so for me, I'm going to take the guy that's shown me he can last a little bit longer. Yes, he's been beaten and finished early at times. And and one of them, I believe the 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 Nabak Guerrill fight was under that two two fifteen threshold. But it's just hard to bank on somebody going out there and getting a fight finished in two minutes. And so I'm going to go with Kennedy for the underdog pick to close this out. It's a it's an interesting card. There's some there's some tough fights. There's some competitive fights. There's some weird fights. We're going to see how it plays out. All I know is I'm happy to be back. I'm so excited to be back and doing this. Can't wait to get the rest of this all set up, get the new mic ready to go. The new desktop is coming in a couple of weeks, so we'll get that fired up. Even better camera. We'll just keep working on this. As I said before we left, I'm coming. I'm just, I'm pumped to be back, pumped to be doing this. I want to bring you guys the best content possible. Hope you enjoy this. Good luck with your own picks. Check out the betting show. It's going to come up right after this. We'll talk to you on Saturday. Enjoy the fights.